Amen. Come on, everybody. Is anybody grateful, man, to be in God's house today? Man, I love that song, man. There's another in the fire. I was about to get a lighter out if I had one. Woo. Come on. Is anybody thankful, man, that we don't go through life alone no matter what we're going through? There's a God with us who loves us. He's a God who's bigger than the fire. He's a God who can use the fire. He's a God. Come on. He is so worthy of praise. Come on, Lawrenceburg Faith Church here in Florence. Let's give him our best praise. Come on. One more moment. Man, I want to say welcome to everybody. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor, and it is a privilege, man, to be here today to celebrate God's goodness and grace with you and, uh, man, to speak this word. And so I just want you to open up your hearts, man. We say it every week that we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And so if you're a faith family, if you're new, no matter where you're at, what you're going through, open your heart up, open your life up to God's grace and God's power. He will meet you. He will transform you. He will change you if you'll give him that opportunity. Amen. Hey, listen, I want to welcome all of our Faith Church family here in Florence. Can we welcome our Faith Church family up in Lawrenceburg? Man, it's so good to have you guys. All of our VIPs, if you're here for the first time in Lawrenceburg or watching online, man, again, we just pray that God will do something great in and through your life. Well, how many people would agree that being a kid is a pretty good gig? I mean, it's an underappreciated thing while it's happening, but remember what it was like when you just had really not a lot of cares in the world? Uh, I mean, right now, like, you care about how many people like your post, but, like, think about the, the beauty of being a kid. I mean, it's, there's just nothing like it in the world. You wake up in a bed you didn't pay for, and you wander to the pantry, and, like, there's, you don't know how they got there. You didn't go shopping. You didn't pay for but there's Fruity Pebbles in the cupboard. You go get dressed, and you don't know how it happened, but someone washed your clothes and folded them and put them there. I mean, it's such a beautiful thing. It's crazy, though, that... While we're kids, we can't wait to grow up. It's like we are just in a race to get there. And unfortunately, most of us, we know this, once we get there, man, we wish we could go back. Once we have the responsibility, we don't want it anymore. You know, once we have to pay the bills and we have to wash the clothes and we have to do the shopping, man, for, to be a kid again. But it's just part of what it is. You know, we, we want to trade freedom for responsibility. And once we have responsibility, again, we don't want the responsibility but it's just part of growing up. You might want to go back, but you don't get to go back. You're just, you're an adult now. Suck it up, buttercup. This is how it is. You know, the same thing is true in our spiritual journey. In our spiritual journey, we are growing up. God's word uses all kinds of terminology and phraseology, spiritual words like sanctification, words like perfection, Words describing us that we're children and then we're young men and we're old men. It's this, this continual journey of us growing. And the same thing as real natural children, again, as you grow older, you embrace more obligation and responsibility. The same is true in our spiritual journey. That as we get older, we naturally need to assume more obligation and responsibility. And so today I want to just kind of, as we close out this series that we've been on for the last several weeks entitled Thin Skin, I want to talk to us today about this idea of one of the things that we are called to embrace. And if you're taking notes, I want to talk to us today about the obligation of offense. That on some level, we have an obligation to be offended, which I know is contrary. Lawrenceburg, you've been paying attention here in Florence. I know that's contrary to what it seems like I've been saying throughout this series. The challenge of this series on thin skin is that, again, we are living in a culture of offense. People are so easily offended. And so what we have found out from God's word, specifically some of the things that Jesus addressed is, I believe that God wants us to live without offense and without being offensive. And now here I am today saying you have an obligation of offense. And you're like, well, which is it? 
Well, throughout the series, the tension that I've tried to create is that many of the things that we are offended by are silly. But there are some serious things that I think demand our attention. I think, I think they deserve a response. I think, especially as Christ followers, that, that we should acknowledge some things that are happening in the world. So I think the silly things that we are often offended by, I think we need to dispose of. I think we need to quit cashing in our peace for. I think we need to quit giving up our joy for. But if you're here and you're a Christ follower, I think there are some things that are serious. I think there are some things that demand our attention. So I would just say this. If you're here and you're, um, you're not a Christ follower, if you're in Lawrenceburg and you're just visiting, checking things out, I, I think you would probably agree today that the things we're going to discuss demand attention. But you don't have to give it. But if you're here and you're a Christ follower, these things are non-negotiable. I believe what we're going to find is God obligates us to be offended about some of the things we're going to cover. So, if you have your Bible, I want you to grab it and turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at a story, a parable that Jesus told. And he tells this parable, he tells this story, it's very familiar, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he tells this story in response to a question that's asked. And the question that's asked is, hey, how do, how do I get eternal life? Like, how, how do I get eternal life? How do I live forever? How do I, how do I get to heaven? And in response to that question, Jesus tells this story. Now, just real quick, I want you to know that the person who asked the question is religious, but all just because you're religious doesn't mean you're spiritual. You say, well, what's the difference? Religious people, especially in the time of Jesus, religious people were people that had it all put together on the outside, but had all kinds of corruption on the inside. In fact, Jesus, he equated religious people, which could be you, could be me. He said, you're like whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. It's like you're a manicured cemetery with rot under the ground. Everything looks good on the outside, but there's some stuff on the inside. So this religious person asks this question of Jesus, and Jesus responds with the story. So let's check this out. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Come on, is everybody with me today? Come on, give me a whoop, whoop. You didn't know you can do that in church. You can do that at Faith Church. Other churches, you escort it out. In fact, I would take some more whoop, whoops throughout the message, if something hits you, just give me a whoop, whoop. <laughs> you're probably not going to do that much today. I'm going to be honest. This is a tough one. Throughout this series, people are like, Pastor, you've been stepping on my toes. We're just dancing, and it's happening on accident. <laughs> Jesus has been stepping on my toes. I come to step on yours today. <laughs> Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, which never goes well, <laughs> by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do? to inherit eternal life. And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? He's, Jesus is looking back to the Old Testament. What did God tell his people at that time, the Jewish nation? He answers, he says this. He says, what did the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength, and all of your mind. And, everybody say and. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions, which I find myself sometimes doing. Anybody with me? Whoop, whoop. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. This story is enduring. The only thing that's changed is back then people got beat up. Today people get beat down. Nothing's changed. And watch this, it says, by chance a priest came along, 
But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Next, the temple assistant walked over, check this out, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So everybody listen. So get this picture. This is a, this is a common thoroughfare. This is, a, this is a main street. It's very common. It's the main way to get from one city to the next. This man on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem, he gets jumped. He gets mobbed. He gets hijacked. He gets bushwhacked. And these guys come out, we don't know how many, but they beat him so badly, he's within an inch of his life. He's bloody, he's broken, he's broke. And people begin to see him laying there and they just walk by him. In fact, one guy walks up and Jesus says, like, looks at him, probably like, and still goes on the other side of the road and just keeps passing by. And then he says this, verse 33. But then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked the bandits? Rhetorical question. We know the answer. But the man responds, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, this is such a powerful story, but I don't know about you. You don't have to know a lot about the Bible. And probably many of us here, many of us in Lawrenceburg watching online, you possibly have heard this story. But no matter how many times you've heard it, especially if it's new to you, at least for me, I get this natural response like, like these two guys and they're religious people. It's a temple priest and a temple assistant. It's like, the, it's like the Christians of the day. Like they walk right by this guy broken, beaten, and battered on the side of the road and does absolutely nothing to help him. And I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, how could they do that? Like, how could they? Like, I mean, the audacity of these people, how, 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 how much, what lack of empathy and compassion must you have to see somebody this hurting and not even pay attention and just walk on by? I don't know if you know this, but this story is very similar to what happens in our culture all the time of people who get jumped, get mobbed by a group of people. And instead of anybody jumping in and helping the people who's being beaten and bruised, they get out their cell phones and capture it and post it on social media. Just read a story this morning. Seven young men jumped a kid, stabbed him to death. Why about 100 people videoed it and put it on social media? That's this story. And I'm, again, I, I'm like, are you kidding me? How could they do that? And we have this tendency, at least I have this tendency, that I get more offended by other people's behavior than I'm offended at my own behavior. And if you're taking notes, I think we should be more offended by our own personal sin. Like... That's the story is this, it just unfolds and Jesus is intentionally prodding his audience for a response. And that first response is, how dare they? How could they? And that's kind of the season we're living in. That's, that's us is we are far more concerned about how everybody else is living out there. And we're not concerned enough with how we're living in here. We're concerned with everybody, how everybody else is behaving. And we're not concerned enough with our own behavior. We're concerned with public sin, but we're not bothered by, come on, say it, personal sin. If you're taking notes, we should be more offended by our sin than their sin. Have you ever noticed how, how the church, have you ever noticed how Christian people are like 
the old lady in the neighborhood. You know the old, old nosy lady in the neighborhood who sticks her nose out of the curtain and just kind of, it's not there just to watch, but you can tell it has this kind of criticism about her. If you don't know who it is, it's probably you. Every subdivision has one. Like every time a car goes by, who, who are they? What do they want? Look at them mowing their yard. They need to hire somebody. Look how filthy their kids are. Someone needs to give them a bath and wash their mouth out with soap too. You know, the, I mean, Chris, that's us. We stand in our churches and we pull the curtain back on the world. How could they? How dare they? They need to get their act together. And I'm just telling you, I'm not saying there's no room for conversation for what's happening in culture. What I'm telling you is we are far more offended by what's happening out there than we are offended by what's happening in here. And I'm telling you, listen, we shouldn't be shocked when worldly people live worldly. What we should be shocked and offended by is when godly people live worldly. Thank you. Whoop, whoop. And it's not, again, it's, it's we're, we're so quick. I'm so quick sometimes to judge culture and excuse myself. I'm so quick to watch, to watch what's happening on the news, to watch. Are, are you kidding me? I can't believe they videoed that and walked away. I can't believe somebody stumbled over somebody and didn't help. We are so quick to judge everybody else and excuse ourselves. And I'm telling you, if we are going to be offended by anything, we should be offended first by our own personal sin before we're ever offended by someone else's public sin. And that's hard to do. But if you look at what's happening, especially in the church, because come on, church people, let's just be honest. We are some of the most offendable people on the planet. We're offended at everything. We're offended at stores and the products they sell and people they let in their bathrooms. I don't know about you. I don't use public bathrooms anyways. I've been in one, and I don't have to go that bad. <laughs> don't write me emails. We're offended. We... Come on, we boycott their products, boycott their stores. We're offended by society, culture, sexuality. We're offended how they talk, what's on TV. Listen, turn it off. I'm just telling you, at the end of the day, we're looking at the world, shocked at how the world's living. And if judgment should start anywhere, God's word says judgment begins in the house of God. And so this is where it's got to start. And so Jesus, he tells this story. Our natural response is, how could they? And Jesus is wanting us to really look and say, how could we? So something has to flip, and if we're not being changed, it raises questions because if the Christ you're serving doesn't have the power to change his church, he doesn't have the power to change culture anyways. But if the Jesus we're serving, who is the God of Scripture, can change lives, and we experience that life change, we can pass it on. Because at the best we can hope for the world without Christ is they can be good. But God doesn't want good people. God wants godly people. And godliness can only happen through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. So you watch this story unfold, and what really makes this a, a compelling story, and we miss it today in our society, what makes it a, a scandalous story is who Jesus makes the hero of the story. You know, I mean, in our storytelling, it's, it's always the, the, the handsome young prince who's the story. It's natural. It's easy to watch who's going to be, you know, who's going to be the, the hero, but in this story, as his listeners are listening, as his Jewish audience are listening to Jesus tell the story, when he gets to the hero of the story, when he gets to the person who does the right thing, they are shocked. They are scandalized at his response. 
Because what's lost on our culture is we don't appreciate the tension and the racism that existed between Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans were half-breeds. They were biracial. They were looked down on. They were considered mongrels and less than human by Jewish people. And so when Jesus tells the story of two Jewish people not helping a fellow Jew, but the one who finally stepped up and was the hero of the story was a Samaritan, they were like, <gasps> and what it was doing is it was exposing something in them. See, I don't know about you, but we are offended. Again, we're offended by the wrong things. We're offended how, <laughs> we're offended on how everybody else is treating us. And what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be offended by is how other people are being treated. We should be offended by prejudice. We should be offended by prejudice. This is exactly what Jesus is getting. This is a prejudice story that Jesus is telling. He's trying to highlight the prejudice of society. He's trying to expose the religion of this man who thought he had it all together. He was trying to trick Jesus and Jesus tricked him by exposing his prejudice heart. Again, we don't appreciate it because we don't know anything about Samaritans and the Jewish population, at least in Northwest Alabama, is pretty small. So let's put it in modern terms. I think if Jesus was here today telling this story, I think he would tell it probably a little different than a Jew and a Samaritan. He might tell the story of how two Democrats passed by a man broken, beating, and bleeding on the side of the road, but the Republicans stopped to help him. <gasps> how could any Republican? Or he might tell the story of how two white people walked by, and it was the black man who stopped. <gasps> well, I never might tell the story of two border agents, but it was the immigrant who stopped. He might tell the story of two Christians who passed by, but it was the atheist who stopped. And seeing all of us, we're like, it exposes our racism because here's how you know you're racist. When you begin to question who the hero or the villain of the story is, that's how you know you're racist. When you read an article before you get to the color or the character of the person, you've already decided what color they are. Well, they must be black. They must be white. Come on. Well, I'm just telling That's what Jesus, when he throws out the hero of the story is a Samaritan, what he's doing is exposing racism. And I'm telling we live in a racist world, and there's all this discussion. Some will say racism is on the increase, and some will say racism is on the decrease. I, I, I don't know. I can give my opinion, but I can be honest enough to say I've not really experienced a lot of racism in my life. But how much racism, church, how much should we tolerate? Loving our neighbor as ourselves, this is what Jesus is teaching. Loving our neighbors as ourselves is to demand the same treatment for them. The Republican them, the Democrat them, the police officer them, the white, the black, the Asian them, the Hispanic them. Come on, y'all getting quiet on me. Whoop, whoop. I know it's getting a little harder. Just get whoop, whoop. It's demanding for them what we expect for us. And it's crazy because, again, we're, offend we're offended at the wrong things. This whole series has been... We are, we are so been, we've been so manipulated by society and culture. 
Our heart has been hijacked by the wrong things and we have bought out passion for the wrong things. And God has called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to have some passion and have some care and have some concern and have some compassion about some things, but we've invested in the wrong things. There are some things that should be robbing us of our peace. And it's not the silly things, it's the serious things. It is the things where we're so concerned about everybody else's sin, but we're not bothered by our sin. We should be offended at our own sin. We should be offended that prejudice is still happening at the level it's happening in our society. And not because they're doing it, it's because we're enabling it, we're tolerating it. Prejudice should stop here in the house of God. Aveda King said this, racism springs from the lie that certain humans, human beings are less than fully human. It's a self-centered falsehood that corrupts our minds into believing we are right to treat others as we would not want to be treated ourselves. So again, you go through this story, it's so powerful, the story of the Good Samaritan. And as Jesus is telling this, if you're paying attention, there should be these alarm bells and red flags going off that isn't making us say, I want to be a good neighbor. What Jesus is trying to show us is we are awful neighbors because we're offended about the wrong stuff and not bothered by the things that really matter in life. And the whole story, in essence, is a story of this, that we should be offended by injustice. Now let's talk about injustice. It's not a word that's talked a lot about in churches. And the problem is the word has been hijacked. There's a lot of words in, in scripture, there's a lot of words in God's economy that have been hijacked. And because they've been hijacked and manipulated, when we hear them, we immediately shut down. And we don't want anything to do with them because they've been manipulated. For example, speaking in tongues. Whoop, whoop. I'll give you one. Whoop, whoop. Like, FYI, I don't know if you knew this, but every follower of Jesus spoke in tongues the day of Pentecost. If you're Catholic, Mary was a tongue talker. <laughs> Read it. See, but some of you have your preconceived ideas because you've seen how people have manipulated the topic, so you're immediately turned off on something that's essential. Prophecy, deliverance, prosperity. Like all of these terms, culture is hijacked and twisted and robbed us. And one of those is probably bigger than everyone I just mentioned put together, and it is the topic of justice. We are more offended at how we are mistreated than how those around us are mistreated. That's what injustice is. When you read scripture, in fact, the, the Old Testament is, is made up of, of three primary sections. It's the law, the writings, and the prophets. And the prophets in the Old Testament is the largest section of scripture. And the prophets are just that. It's, it's people who were held the office of a prophet and God would speak to them or through them to the nation of Israel. And typically it wasn't good news. God would speak to the prophet to go to the nation of Israel. And if you read any of them, I double dog dare you, read any of them tonight. Start with the small ones, the minor prophets. Most of them are two, three, four chapters long. You will find the subject of injustice coming up every single time. And God is upset at his people for not just creating injustice, but tolerating injustice. And God is saying you should be offended at what's happening in your culture and your community around you. And it doesn't seem to bother you. And because it doesn't bother you, judgment is coming. And there's four primary groups that you see highlighted from book to book, from chapter to chapter. And uh, these, these vulnerable Groups. I would say it this way, the fragile foursome. That's what I titled them. The fragile foursome. You'll see these four over and over and over again. It's the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. 
The widow, come on, say the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. If you have a hard time saying any one or two or three of those four, that exposes something in you. The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, poor. But I'm just telling you, God looks at those vulnerable people and he says, man, they're, they're, they're experiencing injustice and my people, if anybody rises up, it's my people. But we've been so caught up and offended by how people are treating us. We're not bothered by how the people are being treated. And so here's, I want you to hear this, and here's some good news. Y'all ready for some good news? I know this message is heavy. Y'all ready for some good news? Lawrenceburg, you ready for some good news? Did you know that we, we, were, the, we were the fragile force when it came to God? The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. That's who we were. We were a widow, and because of Jesus, the word of God says we become the bride of Christ. Come on, I am married to God. We together, we are the body of Christ and we're his bride. Isn't that good news? I was and you were. Come on, all of us in this room, we were orphans. But because of Jesus, we have been adopted into the family of God. All of us in this room, we were immigrants. And because of Jesus, we're now citizens of heaven. And we were poor. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that though Christ were rich, for our sake he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. We were spiritually bankrupt with nothing to offer, and Jesus experienced our poverty so we could experience his wealth of righteousness. I was the widow. I was the orphan. I was the immigrant, and I was the one impoverished. And because Jesus came for me and Jesus came for you, I am now the bride of Christ. I am now a child of God. I am now a citizen of heaven. And now I am rich in righteousness. Come on, is anybody here thankful because Jesus came? So ultimately, here's, here's, here are those four. I want you to hear them. Here's how God thinks about them. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18 and 19. He says this, he ensures, he ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners. Come on, let's read that part again. So you too must show love to, why? For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You know what God is saying? This is so big. So when it comes to justice in the context of Scripture, it's this idea of biblical justice. We all know what justice is. Justice is giving people what they deserve. Biblical justice is the same thing, just got a little twist on it. Biblical justice, if you're taking notes, is giving people their due based on what God's given you. So I'm going to give you what you, what, you, what you have coming based on what I got for what I had coming. I was a widow. I was an orphan, I was an immigrant, and I was poor. See, we talk a lot here about this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's such a powerful verse, man. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this. He says, for he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that he might become the righteousness of God in him. It's, we call it here the great exchange. Everybody say the great exchange. The great exchange is that, that Jesus came and our sin, my sin was put on him, so I'm forgiven. I don't carry sin anymore. But the great exchange is a two-way street. Not only did I put my sin on Jesus, but Jesus put his righteousness on me. 
And we see righteousness, a lot of times we hear that word in the context of church, and I know it's a word we don't really use a lot in culture, but we hear that word and we think positionally that when God sees me, he sees that I am righteous, and that's true. But it's not just this, it's not just this positional thing, it's God wants us to be practically righteous. The word righteous is maybe a better word, but just right. That Jesus came and Jesus saw widows and Jesus saw orphans and he saw immigrants and he saw impoverished people and he did something about it. And so now because Jesus has taken our sin and put it on himself and he's put his rightness on us, that means because Jesus lived right and did justice, God wants us, because we've experienced justice, God wants us to live right and do justice. The just do justice. Woot, woot. And we don't do it. Do you know why? Because we're so offended. We're so offended at how we're being treated. We just don't give enough concern. Immigrants, I know this is, I'm like, Lord, please don't make me get up and say any of this. Immigrants. They're more than talking points in political positions. They're people. We can talk about how we help people. That's up for debate and discussion. What shouldn't be up for debate and discussion is if we help people. But you know what we do? I, I, I want you to, I'm almost done. We, we can go home and y'all can take a nice cold shower and decompress. Rub some Bengay on it. It'll feel better. But you know what we do when we think about helping people is we excuse ourselves out of helping them by reasons like this. And it, at least I'm going to be honest and expose my own heart is I see a homeless person and sometimes my first thought is, well, there's plenty of help out there for you. If you don't want the help and you wanna live on the side of the road, that's up to you. And we excuse ourselves from generosity and compassion because we say this, they got themselves into it, let them get themselves out of it. Or we say things like this, at least I have thought this, well, you know, I'll see somebody and they got 57 tattoos. I know what a tattoo costs. I got a whole back tattoo. Y'all never seen. You want to see it? No, I don't really have one. I'm just kidding. Trying to lighten the mood. It's pretty tense in here right now. I'm going to be honest. It's getting kind of thick in here. I see somebody with, you know, 27 tattoos, two sleeves. I know that wasn't cheap and they're smoking cigarettes and they got room for all their piercings, but they don't have money for food. Now you want me to help you with food. And if you can't contribute to your well-being, why should I contribute to your well-being? Well, let's flip the script and let's put that on its head. What if Jesus looked at you and said, you got yourself into that sin mess, you get yourself out of it. What if Jesus said, you're, you're not contributing to your righteousness at all. You keep contributing to your busted lifestyle. When you start caring enough about you, then I'll care enough about you. Jesus showed up and rescued people that refused to rescue themselves and couldn't rescue themselves. And the just do justice. God wants us to rescue people that can't rescue themselves and sometimes those who won't rescue themselves because they're people first. And God wants us to love our neighbor regardless of their color or political affiliation, sexual choices, the people first. In the church, if anybody, we have been offended by all 
the wrong stuff. And man, we just get caught up. And we're not really caring about the stuff that God really cares about. When you read the story of the Good Samaritan, what you find is the Samaritan had compassion and he paid the price. Jesus had compassion and he paid the price. What God expects from his people is that we have compassion and we pay the price. The last thing I think we ought to be offended about is we ought to be offended that people are not knowing Christ. Like that should shake us up that we live in a world where Jesus came and he died for the world and he loves the world and he wants to spend eternity with every single one of us and we go to school with and we work with and we live on the streets with people that don't know Christ. If anything ought to shake us up, it's that we live in a world of lost people that Jesus died for. Like if anything ought to offend you and make you mad is that somebody doesn't know him yet. If anything ought to, ought to rise, like get a rise out of you, if anything ought to aggravate is that people don't know Jesus yet. If anything ought to shake us up, it's not Alabama football, Auburn football, Ohio State football, Tennessee football. It ought to be that Jesus died for the sin of the world. We ought to be passionate about people knowing Christ and doing the best we can to crowd heaven. That's what we ought to be bothered by. I didn't share this story last service, but I, I will never forget this. This marked my life long before I was ever a Christian. I was hanging out at a buddy of mine's house. We were partying. His mom was out of town. There was probably 20 or 30 of us there, and we were getting high, and we were getting drunk, and we were partying. And my, my buddy, his name was Les, had a little brother, Mark. And Mark was there. He wasn't partying with us. He was younger. He was kind of a unique kid. And I'll never forget, Mark was there when we got there, and Mark disappeared. And about an hour or two into this party, I asked Les, I'm like, Les, where's your brother at? And he's like, man, he's upstairs crying about something. And I was like, what do you mean he's crying? He's like, man, I don't care. He's just up there pouting. And so in my drunken stupor, I'll never forget wandering up the top of the steps. And I walked in Mark's room and I'm like, Mark, man, what's going on? And Mark is on his bed weeping. His shoulders heaving as he wept on his bed, face in his pillow. I'm like, yo, man, did someone do something to you? Someone hurt you? I'll never forget. He looked up from his pillow, tears just saturating his face. He said, you guys don't know how lost you are. This kid loved the Lord. His older brother and all his friends downstairs partying, not a care in the world. And this kid up there weeping, weeping broken for a group of kids that didn't know Jesus. I, I, at that time, I didn't know Jesus, didn't care anything about Jesus, didn't know anything about the Bible, but that marked me a kid broken for my salvation. I think that ought to be us. But we're too busy offended about silly things and we're related to and we're married to and we're connected to a whole group of people that are lost and we're not offended by it. So as I close this series, my hope, man, I, w I was going into this series. I've been praying for months about this series because it's such a cultural issue. My hope and my prayer, and I believe God's desire for all of us, is that us in this room that 
We're going to start turning the dial down. We're, we're going to quit taking the, taking the bait of the enemy. We're going to quit buying into the wrong stuff. We're going to quit losing our peace to things that really don't matter. But my hope is, at least faith church, we're going to start dialing into some stuff that matters. We should pursue diversity. We should pursue people. We should be bothered by injustice. We should be angry at prejudice. We should be compassionate towards injustice. There has to be some response because if God had that response and God lives in us, that response should come through us. We have an obligation of offense, but it has to be about the right stuff. So how many people in this room, if you're honest with me, would say, you just need to continue to experience God's grace, to be offended about the right stuff? How many people can be honest with that? If you really, that's your heart, I want you to jump to your feet. Don't, don't stand because anybody else stand. But if you're like, Pastor, I need to get my heart right. I'm offended about the wrong stuff. I'm not offended about the right stuff. I want you to jump to your feet. Come on. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray together. I'm going to pray that God shake us up, stir us up. God, heal us of stuff that we're carrying that we shouldn't. God, put a burden in us for stuff that we're not carrying. I'm going to pray for us. Father, come on. I want you all in this room. I want you to just begin to ask God, God, stir in me a heart. God, stir in me a passion. Father, I thank you because, God, you have, you have made us emotional people. You, you know how you created us. But, Father, we have been hijacked by things that don't matter. We've invested our passions in our time, in our heart, into things that are not really significant. Father, all the while we've been baited into missing what really matters, that God around us is a world of people. That, Father, are lost and broken and hurting and being taken advantage of and vulnerable. And, Father, those are the things that matter to you. And so, Lord, I pray as a church that, God, you would stir those things in us. That, Father, we would be offended at our own sin. Father, we would be offended at prejudice. We would be offended at injustice. And we would be offended that there's people that we know that don't yet know you. Father, I pray God put on us that weight as we navigate our life this week, as we, as we bump into people, as we have conversations. God, let us, let us care about the things that you care about. So Lord, stir that in us. God, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us for taking the weight of offense on the stuff that don't matter. And God, forgive us for not investing enough in the things that do. Help us individually and help us as a church to influence culture in a way that honors you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, before we leave today, I want to give you an opportunity maybe to say yes to Jesus because God absolutely loves you. He is bananas over you. He loves you so much, he sent his son to rescue you. And so listen, if you're here and you've never said yes to God's grace, I'm telling you it is the greatest thing that you will ever experience in this world, there is no high like the most high. There's no one like him. And when you say yes to his grace, it'll change you. Immediately you become his child and God's presence will live in you and you'll begin to experience life in a whole new way. But you can't get there through somebody else. You personally have to say yes to God's grace. And so as I close today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've never said yes to God's grace, or man, you're backslidden and you're away from God. And today you want to recommit your life to Christ. You can pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I thank you today that you came and you died on the cross in my place. You took my sin and gave me your righteousness and you made me your child. Now help me to live for you for the rest of my life.
in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. amen. Come on, can we thank God for the word? Come on, everybody. <laughs> hey, listen, Faith Church, next week we're starting a brand new series. Make sure you're here. You're going to love it. We'll see you guys then. Bring somebody with you.